Hello, everyone. Welcome to. It's not called the Bach Show anymore, so I'm sorry about that anymore. The first two shows were like a were a pilot program to see what I could call the show. So, also we uh, couldn't get our hands on goats. We tried and they escaped. Yes, sadly. Uh, so officially, welcome to the first episode of Downstage. Downstage is essentially. Uh, where you see essentially center stage, but whenever someone is talking on stage, they are usually downstage, either downstage left or downstage right, because that's mostly closest to the audience. So as actors, especially those who are working, who are working actors and stuff like that too, downstage is very important for us to get our uh, motivations out and also our object, uh, objectives, objectives out. So. Our and our objective to, uh, for this show, well, to talk about the current events happening in entertainment. Uh, like, for instance, uh, hey Hayden, did you hear about the new Mario movie? Uh, it's a me, Mario, but not anymore. Yes, sadly. <laughs> yeah, well, I heard about that. Yes, yeah, sadly, uh, Chris Pratt is playing Mario Mario of all people. Uh, Jack Black is playing Bowser. Charlie Day is playing uh, Luigi. Anna Taylor-Joy, who I love, by the way. She's playing Princess Peach. Donkey Kong, of all people, is being voiced by uh, Seth Rogen. Which, when you think about it, Seth Rogen voicing a monkey is kind of... Well, monkey, gorilla, whatever Donkey Kong is. Whatever Donkey Kong is, I'm not even sure anymore. But Seth Rogen voicing a gorilla is actually pretty... On, is pretty spot on casting because when you think of gorillas, you just think of them being very uh, laid back, all that stuff. And and when you see Seth Rogen getting angry, it's like, oh, yeah, he does have that very deep voice when he gets angry and whatnot. So, yeah. So I, I will admit that Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong is actually interesting casting as well as Jack Black as Bowser. And, and also same for Idris Elba as Knuckles. Well, that's a different story, but... <laughs> I mean, it's Idris Elba. Like, yeah, if he's in something, I'm down for it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, between but, now, here's the thing. Well, Idris Elba has gotten praise for playing, uh, for essentially voicing Knuckles. Uh, when Chris Pratt was announced to play as Mario, everyone essentially turned against him for essentially voicing Mario, essentially. Now, is there a double standard for as for this type of uh, thing? Where is essentially not only is Idris Elba more loved and more you know more loved as an actor, is just that people just don't like Chris Pratt anymore? Well, I think that's one factor, but I think there's also a couple other factors at play with this. Like one of the big ones is that. The movie does have the original voice actor for Mario in the movie. Oh, making yeah. a cameo, but not as Mario. So it's yeah. so so it's like you're immediately kind of like saying to the fans, Yeah, yeah, we know, you know, you guys want it, you would have wanted to see the original Mario, you know, play a live action Mario, but nah, we're we're not gonna do that. And and then too, it's like you have Chris Pratt who uh, I mean, let's be honest, as that's just a voice actor from everything that from a lot of things he's been in, he isn't a standout. He's just kind of 
average. I mean, he's yeah. basically just going to play the same kind of character that he generally always plays, just with, you know, the iconic Mario mustache. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and then to also kind of counter with Idris Elba as Knuckles. Knuckles' particular character, I feel like, lends itself well to Idris Elba. So mm, I feel nice. like he, I feel like Idris Elba would be able to play that role and have fun with it. And be able to do something different with, maybe like do something a little different while still kind of embodying that original character at the same time. Whereas with Chris Pratt, I just don't see him being able to do something like that. Hmm. And John Leguizamo, and picking up on this though, John Leguizamo, who played Luigi in the original and only uh, Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, he has some choice words to say about that. So glad that Super Mario Super Mario Bros. are getting a reboot. Obviously, it's iconic enough, but too bad they went all white. No Latina X in the leads. Groundbreaking, colorblind casting in the original. Plus, I'm the only one who knows how to make this movie work script-wise. If you want someone who knows knows about a movie, uh, knows about a, a, a work, you get someone who previously worked on the same project. So Exactly. It, it's called doing your research. Yeah, and... And, and I, I want to say there's one quick thing for the casting. Freaking Charlie Day as Luigi. Whoever thought that the guy who had that, you know, Pepe, the iconic Pepe Silvia, like, conspiracy board, and it's always studying in Philadelphia. Like, imagine that as Luigi. Luigi! Luigi! We gotta find Pepe Silvia! <laughs> like, that's how it's gonna be Luigi. <laughs> I mean, he... Uh, uh... Keenan Michael Key is playing Toad, I believe. Yeah, he's playing Toad. And you would think that Toad would be played by um, Charlie Day. And I talked to one of my friends, Mo, who was a previous guest on the uh, uh, Call Time podcast. And by the way, my uh, podcast that I do is now officially it is is rebranded as uh, less performing the arts and more Call Time. And he talked to me, he says, you know, Charlie Day isn't wouldn't be the first person you think would be a wrong casting, but he does do the frightened like type of things rather you know really well. And yeah. I think that's and that's the thing about Luigi is that Luigi's always the uh, the Freddy cat between the two. If Mario is more like the uh, the the big brother who's always doing good, then Luigi's always got to be like the small brother who always seems to fail. I, okay, I can kind of believe that with Charlie Day, because yeah. uh, Charlie Day is definitely going to you know embody that aspect of the character perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I you know I I love a good Charlie Day scene, but I love I, I love a good Charlie Day scene too. It's just that you know it's it's definitely going to be like one of those. Uh... It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean it uh, it is it is one of those things too where it's like they're definitely you know, getting big names because, you know, are people going to watch this if it doesn't have the big name or like, are they going to actually watch? Like, it's one of those things where it's like, you do kind of have to, um, like, you know, what the executives know are considering is like, if say, for example, we did go with the original Mario voice actor, are we going to be able to use that to generate enough of an audience gathering? Can we use that to get butts and seats in the theaters or, or streaming service, depending on what studio has this, because I don't know studio is uh, doing this. I don't remember that. Yeah, that is but, but But yeah, but it is one of those I things it's where it's... Like, yeah, I think it's Universal who 
who's producing this film, who also did uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog uh, movie. Oh, God, I didn't remember that one. Were, they, were their first initial, like, um, design for Sonic was literally lifeless. Yeah. Like, and and they put and they did put work into it, but it it's one of those things where it's like when when they did make you know the Sonic design that actually is Sonic, it's like you could have done this the whole time. Why didn't you just do that? I mean, yeah, sure, you're trying to do something. You know, it's live action. You're trying to be creative. I get that, but but you shouldn't like lose the humanity of the character through the animations. Just, you know, because you're trying to be, you know, different. Yeah, that is true. It's it, it's definitely much more harder to do... What's the term? It's definitely more, much more harder to do a live-action slash animated film compared to something that's just going to be, you know, strictly live-action. Uh, live I mm-hmm. mean, I, I don't doubt that... Uh, uh, Super Mario, the new Super, uh, the new Mario movie would definitely be uh, uh, live action mixed with uh, animation, but you know because you, you know something like Bowser, Donkey Kong, everything else, they're definitely going to be uh, you know animated. But mm-hmm. the last time Donkey Kong was in a uh, ma- you know, major film was Pixels, which was released like several years ago, and that was a and. That was Donkey Kong based off of the original uh, arcade version of it. So mm-hmm. it definitely felt more real. Uh, well, yeah, more real and more respectful to uh, everything else. Now, when, it, when they were doing Bowser or maybe even uh, uh, Cooper, when they were doing Bowser or... Uh, what we call it, Bowser or the uh, you know any other other Koopas, you know, would they be considering looking at the cartoons as inspiration or something like that, or how much of the inspiration is definitely going to be like because it is going to be high uh, Hollywoodized. And the Sonic the Hedgehog's first look was definitely something that was definitely high, you know, Hollywoodized. And then mm-hmm. suddenly it's like, oh, we saw the mass backtrack that was all that stuff. And then suddenly, okay, you know what? Uh, well, uh, definitely. Uh, well, yeah, it's like they saw the criticisms and they responded to that. Which, and it's like, there'll be some people, and there'll be some people who'll be like, Oh well, you know the fans shouldn't you know criticize them whatever. But it's like you. But it's if like it's to... that's that's the thing though. When what you're shown is already going to be you know an obvious sign of failing, which it, we would have like honestly, like if they went with that original design, that movie would not have done as good as it did. I mean, who knows? Maybe the uh, the uh, the human like Sonic the Hitchhog, uh uh, design would have been uh, just as successful as Cats the Butthole Cut. So, God. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, how about this live action Lion King, where like none of the faces really have any emotional depth to them because they're live action animals, or animated Lion King, where you can see the emotional expression because they can create it through the animations. Touche. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a, the the one thing about 
transitioning from something that was animation or video game based into live action because uh, one of my favorite games playing as uh, a teenager was Grand Theft Auto Vice City. And it's very hard to try to emulate, all right, how would I as a filmmaker try to visualize Vice City that isn't like, you know, like Miami Vice or Miami? It's definitely going to be like like Miami, but how would I try to emulate what an 80s version of Vice City would be? You know, would it just be like, oh, strictly like Miami in the 1980s? Or would it be like a mixture of different other things or... You know, it's definitely hard as a a filmmaker to try and do their best into essentially making everyone happy. And that's, I think that's, you know, but at the same time, when the studio is like the one financing the film, you know, the filmmaker might have one idea, right? But but then the studio is like, you know what, we need a, a major star power to carry this film you know you can have a couple of people who are independent movie you know a couple of no-name people and then suddenly it's like you know uh, uh a good example would probably be you know uh a, a western movie right you know you have a couple of people who aren't really you know no named you know household names and then suddenly there is you know uh lawrence fishberg playing some general for the uh, some general to the army or something like that, and out of all the people in the, in the uh, cast, Lawrence Fishburne will probably be the one that's more noticeable and the more like marketing name. So, wait, Lawrence Fishburne? Yeah, I'm doing this as an example. Okay, because I, mean, I, I thought yeah. you were trying to because I thought you were trying to say Lawrence Fishburne or Lawrence Fishburne, but you were like messing up the pronunciation. Yes, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, no, yeah. It's like hypothetically if you were doing a Western movie and you had a couple of people who weren't really household names and then the only household name is someone like Lawrence Fisberg, how you know, the studio would be like, okay, we'll market everything after Lawrence. Everyone else, you know, you have to worry you have to worry about this. And then suddenly, as people are watching this movie, who probably going to see, you know, Lawrence Fisberg, you know, Lawrence Fisburn kick ass in a Western. Suddenly, like, oh wow, there's a great supporting cast in this, you know, and, and suddenly, uh, the one, like maybe even one or two cast members, suddenly become a hot commodity because they did this movie. So mm-hmm. it definitely, I definitely do think that Hollywood, or at least studio systems, really do need to start thinking about outside the box kind of casting because Legozano does say a good point, you know, Super Mario, even though he's an Italian plumber. I've met people who are Italian who are of different, you know, nationalities. So it's easy to, and also it's a video game. So it's, you know, video games don't really have rules to everyone else. So it's like, and also here's the other thing, you're making a movie, you movies don't actually have to have rules to all this stuff. So you can well, have, you well, can technically, really, well, technically there are still rules because it's like, like yeah, especially yeah. with sci-fi films, you have to set rules and you have to follow the rules of an established universe. Otherwise, the premise just gets ridiculous. And because that's what separates good sci-fi from bad sci-fi. Do you follow the rules that you establish in your story? So even in video game movies, there still has to be a rule set. Yeah, that is true. 
it, it, especially because too it's like there there are like so many video game movies that have blundered and failed because video game movies are just not yeah. easy to do as well and, and like, hopefully and hopefully they're not getting yeah. U- uwe bowls to direct this one like what i just said before you know uh, how would i translate you know, Grand Theft Auto Vice City into a, you know, a, a film, or even like something like Red Dead Redemption 2. How would I translate that into a, a, a film? Uh, a great example of this is uh, The Last of Us. You know, Last of Us is going to be an HBO, show, HBO original show. Uh, is going to start. And, 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 I guess I didn't interrupt, but like. Yeah, go ahead. Here's what I say to that. You don't have to really turn every video game into a movie or TV show. Because yeah. that's the thing. What because that's the thing. It's like Red Dead Redemption 2 has a great story. But but, that, you, but that, you can't but you can't condense it down to a movie to get that. Yeah. You have to watch you have to watch it as a as it is. Exactly. And and but, I do have oh, something to say about the HBO Max um Last of Us, but I'll I'll let you finish. Yeah, but uh you know, the only they only showed us like one picture of it so far, which is which was on the uh, the Last of Us day, which is I believe that was I think last week or so, because it's uh, it's essentially the day of when the uh, po- uh, the outbreak of the fungus virus came out or something to that effect, and yeah, I mean, even though it was just a back of you know uh, of Joel and Ellie, it looked like. It was actually part of the game, and it took me a couple of ch- seconds to realize, oh, that's actually part. That's actually what they shot. I'm like, good lord. Yeah, and also, here's kind of the the issue I have with it. Okay, why do Why do you need to make this? Because what are they going to do with it? Like, if they were going to like tell the story, like in between Last of Us Part One, Last of Us Part Two, which even then they can't really do because they technically already do that in last of us part two kind of i mean you could do you could you know put more into what happens in between but where are you really going to go with it because we already know where it goes anyway and and also if you're if they're just essentially retelling the first game in this show why do we need to watch the show when we already have the game which already plays like you know a long movie anyway yeah that is true uh but i think what they want to do with the show now is is expand on not only the lore but also just everything else behind the story. You know, aside from Ellie's background and everything, because we know that she, I played The uh, Last of Us Left Behind, so I know what happened. You know, I know how she got bit. Mm-hmm. But she also mentioned that she's an orphan, and she, you know, uh, grew up in Boston and stuff like that too. And orphan is something to that fact. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you know they uh, create uh, gaps to fill in the show. So while they're doing essentially, uh, while they're doing essentially the, the narrative of the of the game which is essentially having uh, Joel take Ellie to uh, see the fireflies. I wouldn't imagine it's like during, because, you know, during the, you know, during the game, they don't really have a lot of flashbacks, which is something that the second game actually does a bit more because I guess 
they figured, oh, if we do, if we have well, to. Also, also, because they killed Jolov in the very beginning of the game. Sorry, spoilers, but it's been, out for, it's been out long enough. And honestly, if you don't even know this by now, then <laughs> yeah, you've lived under one hell of a rock. Uh, HBO has a great uh, idea going forward because they de- definitely do have the budget and they definitely do have the production design. It's just that. Uh, I just hope it, it is written very well, mm-hmm. and that's my uh, that's my uh, gripe is that they I hope that it's written well, and I hope it's essentially uh, shot well, acted well because I because I know Pe- uh, Padre, Pedro Pascal, yeah, Pe- uh, Pedro Pascal is an excellent actor, mm-hmm. definitely one of those type of actors that was you know vastly underrated, especially going after Game of Thrones, and then suddenly he's kind of like. Then he's the Mandalorian. Yeah, and he was in um, Kingsman 2 and Wonder Woman 2 and, uh, like, and he's been around for, like, you know, 20, like, 25 years, I think, or so, as an actor. So he's like, I'm I'm glad that he's starting to get his uh, due as an actor to become, like, a successful Hollywood, uh, you know, blockbuster type, you know, not like a a major actor. Mm -hmm. But I'm just... Hoping that you know they write everything well and they condense the story into a great format for TV because TV is definitely one of those things that won't go away, and it's definitely one of those things that will need to go into you know go into detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, but speaking of TV, well, TV light or tv in general but but speak but speaking of streaming uh netflix released their updated list of most original movies and shows with surprising new entries hmm. so for their shows they you know it gave a list of 10 yes 10 shows and within movies 10 movies so at number 10 emily in paris season one at number nine, Sweet Tooth season one with season uh, the Queen's Gambit with that lucky number seven Tiger King, and they just announced that there's a new Tiger King docu uh, t- a docu series coming out too. So they're definitely um, Netflix is de- definitely buttering us for another lockdown. I joke, but <laughs> yeah, uh, more of that Carol Baskins. Uh, at number six, we have Money Heist Part Four with at number five, Stranger Things season three with. Didn't season uh, wait? Didn't season four come out already, or is it still not happened? No, it, it's coming out uh, next year. They actually oh. just released a, a teaser of, of of season four just like a couple of days ago, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I'm excited for those seasons. Yeah, uh, season four hasn't come out because of COVID and all that stuff, so it's like right, right. And also, um, what's we call it? Uh, most of the cast members cast members were doing other stuff at the same time, so I was like kind of doing it, trying to keep everybody up. To you know, and that's one of the problems with something like Stranger Things is trying to keep everything, you know, trying to keep up with everyone's schedules, especially when like everyone's casting is, you know, cast stock is rising. Is what, like I said before, you know, David Harbor, who who is a great underrated actor, he could be in that western with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and then suddenly, you know, David Harbor, who wasn't really known prior, I mean, he was known prior to Stranger Things, but Stranger Things kind of, like, boosted him his uh, rating into, like, star power. So it's definitely, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, at number four, Sex Life Season 1, 
uh, at number three, the season, the first season of The Witcher, and number two, Lupin. Lupin is a not exactly a uh, adaptation of the character, but it's basically a original show based on the character's name and the fact that there's a thief who bases his uh, crimes out of like Lupin. So it's it, it's an I haven't watched the show per se, but I keep on watching clips of it and it looks amazing. Uh, but and but the same amount of people who watched The Witcher have also watched Lupin season one, and that's hmm. 76 million people. And their most popular show is Bridgerton, which has been watched over uh, 82 million views or times or what have you. Huh. So out of all the shows that, that came out, you have Stranger Things 3, which came out like a couple of years ago. And most of these shows, like the season ones and the and Tiger King and Queen's Gambit, that came out essentially last year. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely more going into uh, there's definitely more going into uh, new type of shows on Netflix. Like the like people who watch new shows on Netflix get geared towards everything. Like the new show Squid Game, you know that just came out recently, and I won't be surprised that at maybe at the end of the month, I mean at the end of the year, that will probably overtake uh, one of the top spots. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That was the shows. So out of all the 10 shows, I just list uh, lists. It was like, do you see anything that was, uh, that was essentially, uh, a surprise for you? Uh, well, Witcher makes sense. Um, Stranger Things, that makes sense as well. Yeah. Queen's Gambit, I'm, a, I'm kind of surprised that one's as low as it is. I thought that would be a little higher. Cause I remember when that show came out, everybody was talking about it. Yeah, I would have thought Queen's Gambit would probably be in the in the, like the fourth, the fifth spot. Yeah, and and I'm, uh, what spot was Tiger King again? Uh, the seventh. Okay, yeah, that one makes sense because everyone did talk about it, but then once it was, like, once people kind of watched it, then it then kind of immediately, like, went away. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, you watched it, you're not really gonna go back and rewatch that again. But but you're still gonna I mean you're still gonna talk about it, but yeah. you're not but you, you know just for like the memes and whatever and just because of how crazy it is, but you're not gonna go back and like rewatch that. So I'm, I think that one does kind of make sense. I don't know enough about some of the other shows to really make um. Uh, well, the Emily in Paris, um, I get why it's there. I. It, it's just one of those shows where it's like, like I've seen people talk about it where it's like, yeah, this actually isn't a good show, but for some reason people like watched it and liked it anyway for whatever reason. So I'm just surprised that that's on the list at all. Um, a well-known actress, so yeah, and it does have that whole American overseas uh, trope of you know, it's them overseas. They live, and now they're living in a you know a foreign city, all that stuff, and you know all the mix-ups, all that stuff. So, but you would have thought it would be like not many people would have watched. So, but then again, Emily in Paris like came out at the start of the year or at the end of no, the end of October of last year. Okay. So I guess a lot of people going into essentially the the, the the lockdown and everything, they were just like watching anything that was like remotely, you know, interesting on Netflix and and okay, 
Yeah, here here is just a headline from The Guardian about Emily in Paris that honestly, I remember seeing this a long time ago and I forgot about it until I just quickly Googled it. And here's the headline from The Guardian. I'm a writer on Emily in Paris. I May Destroy You deserved a Golden Globe nomination. Because that's like, that was the controversy where like uh, Emily in Paris got got a Golden Globe nomination, but I May Destroy You did not. Yeah. And, and it's like, and and it's like the fact that someone who worked on, who wrote for Emily in Paris said that. It's like, yeah, that's kind of telling about the show. That yeah. one of your own writers who worked on this, who helped create this said, yeah, no, no, no not maybe not us, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but there are more. Uh, I mean, in terms of hours, the amount of people who watched Emily in Paris season one, uh, it hasn't even cracked by hours. So that was in total amount of, I think, of all the people who watched it concurrently. So 58 million people watched the show, but by hours, it has it never even cracked like uh, the top 10. Because mm-hmm. it's even more up to that list. So, yeah. Uh, but going into movies now, these are all original movies. Uh, at number 10, Fatherhood. At number 9, Army of Dead, which I still haven't watched yet. At number 8, Project Power. Number 7, uh, uh, Enola Holmes. At number 6, The Old Guard. Number 5, Murder Mystery. At number 4, Six on the Ground. At number three, Spencer Confidential. Number two, Bird Box. And at number one, which actually surprised me, Extraction. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I can believe Extraction is number one. Because, like, from what I've seen of the previous Extraction, it doesn't really look at all that much interesting at any any other, like, type of uh, rescue type of things. I know the Russo brothers produced it. I know Hemsworth is starring in it. But every time I see, like, the trailer for it, it doesn't really strike me as visually interesting. But I know Hemsworth is still a bankable drawer if he's bringing essentially a hundred, almost like almost a hundred million people uh, having watched the movie or views, as I said. It also has David Harbour. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) David Harbour strikes again. (laughs) Yep. There he is. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's like, I didn't expect it. I was just just watching the movie and I'm like, oh, David Harbour. Cool. (laughs) He just like pops up ever uh, out of nowhere. Exactly. We love David Harbor. I mean, I mean, how can you not? I mean, just just like he, he, he is, honestly, he's the best part of Black Widow. Like him is like like he. I'm mean, like honestly, I, like Black Widow. She's great, but I mean, David Harbor is Red Guardian. How can you not? Uh, and if you are looking a great thing to watch uh, with uh, David Harbor, please do watch uh, Frankenstein, My Monster Frankenstein. I think that's how it's no Frankenstein's monster, monster Frankenstein. I think that's called. I think that's how it's called. It's it's a tongue twisting version of the Frankenstein story, but it's played out like an uh, a shitty. Uh, I wouldn't. Well, it's a, it, it's like a very stylistically shitty type of old show that he unearthed because his grandfather, who looks like David Harbor, had produced and wrote it. It's hilarious. But also, it's also just very amazing to watch because you just see how well his com- you know his comedic timing is as a actor is. 
All right, now here, now here are my thoughts on this list. I'm going to start with extraction. I'm going to go with some, and I'm going to go back to the other ones that I'm familiar with. Yeah. So extraction is an example of you can try to do complex poorly, or you can do simple and kick ass at it. And that's what I feel. And that's what I feel like um, with extraction. That's what they did. Yeah, it's it's it is a simple concept, but they kick ass at it, and they really bank hard on the action. And it's good action. Like that action, like the, the, the action, the stunt work, the cinematography of it, it's all shot really well. And it has what essentially is supposed to look like a one take. And you, you can tell where they're doing the camera wipes, but they make it look like a really good like one long take. And all the action, it's all good the whole time. Mm. Because the director was a, um, uh, a stuntman who worked on, I believe, was... Um, either Winter Soldier or Captain America Civil War. So he worked with the Russo brothers as like one of the stuntmen and then became the stunt coordinator for Infinity War might have been, but definitely Endgame. And the Russo brothers were set to direct extraction themselves, but then they decided, you know what, let's give it to this, um, let's give it to this guy that we know, this um, stunt guy who I am blanking on his name. So I'm going to quickly look that up. But they gave it to him because they worked with him for a long while. They knew what he was capable of, so they trusted him with this project. And I think I think it was a good decision. Because, yeah, it doesn't honestly Sam need Hargrave. to do it. Huh? Sam Hargrave. Sam Hargrave, that's who it was. No, sorry, Sam, uh, yeah, uh, Har, like H-A-R, Har. Mm-hmm. Hargrave. But oh, and he's also uh, the second unit director for the second season of Mando. Hmm. Nice. So, so yeah, it's like they kind. Of, so it's like it's like when a movie when like ugh, sorry when you have movies that are directed by people who have worked as stuntmen, like John Wick, for example. Yeah, it's gonna look great. Interesting about John Wick, like like the first John Wick movie is essentially the most you know, basic, simplest of premises. A, a retired hitman just wants revenge for, a, you know, for his dog who was killed and, you know, in the stolen car. It, it is essentially the simplest premise, but they do such a fantastic job with it. And that's kind of what I feel like with Extraction. It is essentially a simple premise, but they do a good job with what they're doing in it. And now over to Bird Box. That's, you know, I, I, I expect that. I mean, everyone's yeah. talking about that. It's you know, it, it is interesting. So, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, uh, which, uh, which one was number six? Was it was that Overdrive? No, number six was the Old Guard. Oh, the Old Guard. That's what it was called. So I actually came across an interesting video. Um, it's from this channel called Corridor Crew. It was one of their Stuntmen React series. And the Stuntman was pointing out how... This movie was actually based off an anime, and in and like they in one of the scenes in that anime, they show a better use of the, you know, the old guard's inability to die essentially. So where one of the you know old guard or whatever is like running through this hallway getting shot with tranquilizers, he's trying to dodge them all and he gets hit in the arm with one. So he immediately drops his assault rifle, picks like takes out a knife. And, like chops the arm that got hit with the tranquilizer off and then takes a pistol out and keeps fighting until he like gets hit with a few more tranquilizers and about to go unconscious. So what he decides to do, he shoots himself in the head because 
they can't die. Yeah. But, it, but you know, going unconscious, then you'd be, you know, captured. So he shoots himself in the head, and it's like, okay, now I'm dead. But then he immediately wakes back up fully healed and ready to kick ass. Hmm. So it's one of those things where it's like, they had potential to really kind of play around with, like, what you could have done to show that they are essentially immortal and they know they're immortal. But if you're, but if you're not willing to go 100% with it, then then yeah, it's it's gonna look average. Yeah, that is true, uh, and it does look averageish from what I've seen. And again, with the trailers, and I think the trailers always, when they're when trailers, especially for Netflix movies, they always do. If it's an action movie, they will stylizing the action stuff like that too and whenever it's like the same thing with uh extractions is like it just didn't look generally appealing even though it has charlie Theron, and it has an interesting premise that relates back to highlander so it's like i love the idea of immortals just like instead of you know dueling it out and whatnot and and this is the same woman who was who worked on atomic blonde yeah so it's like notion of immortals who could essentially not die and could essentially uh yeah who could yeah. essentially just not die at all you know could just shoot them a, you know, a bunch of times and just they'll just come back and just like that tickles or something like that but mm-hmm. like like it does sound like it could be interesting but then but, it's like if you don't actually take advantage of that then you're just left with meh yeah that is true uh it it does feel like it's very meh at 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 best and mm-hmm. i i think that's some of the things is that some of the recent action movies like project power which looks good on paper you know you take a pill and it randomizes you know randomizes you with a superpower for like maybe 5 minutes 10 minutes an hour what have you mm-hmm. i think it's 5 minutes but or something to that effect and you know it's like it just randomizes a superpower for you to hold. You know, taking a pill to to essentially superhumanize your body has been done before with limitless, limitless. You know, and, mm-hmm. and even the- even even like the Injustice comic series that was like a prequel to the Injustice games had a Superman pill. Yeah, and a lot of it does show that oh you could actually take good notion or good ideas and then suddenly you know bring it on its head you know uh and i'm not saying that the old guard isn't you know a good movie i've seen i you know i saw my father watching it and from what i was watching at least for a few minutes of it it looked like it was a good tense type of action thriller but i think it's like from what you just do originally, which is essentially, if if you do a movie about, say, uh, uh, Jack the Ripper or something like that, how do you differentiate it from the other Jack the Ripper movies that have come uh, out over the past, you know, say, 50 or 60 years or so? Exactly. You know. Uh, and, and, and also, okay. like, the easiest way to make that whole, like, power pill thing actually interesting is do what they did in the animated show Ben 10, where Ben is like, okay, I here's the situation going on. I'm going to pick this alien. And then he, you know, taps on the watch, ends up getting a completely different alien who actually isn't 
suited to the environment well. Like there was one where he tries to pick the you know speedster alien. He then gets the amphibious alien who literally has to be in water to survive. So now he's ha- so now he's having to like you know fight this like criminal while trying to also keep himself hydrated so he doesn't die. Uh, a good and also example of this is Black Lightning. Uh, Black mm-hmm. Lightning uh, was it? Uh, I believe this season. I mean this past season, or no, uh, in between both in season three and and in this season, Black Lightning's wife, Lynn. She's a scientist, so she's able to extract the man-human gene, create essentially a drug after it, right? So mm-hmm. it could basically be like the same thing with, you know, pill. You know, take a pill. It essentially harnesses like the type of uh, power you want. So let's just say that you wanted to use like invisibility for like an hour. Take the pill, be an invisible man for like an hour or so, and then after once it's done. It rushes off your, your system and all that stuff. But what the, they do with it, too, is that she gets addicted to essentially taking the pill over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they have the addiction portion in Project Power. Again, I haven't watched it. You know, I want to watch it. But at the same time, it's just like there's just so much meteor on Netflix, especially with movies. Is just that, you know, once I see something that looks interesting, it's like, would I'd be able to pay attention for like 10 minutes or so while turning it off. Yeah, exactly. And that's some of the problems with the, uh, that's literally some of the problems I have with Netflix is just that how would I be able to, uh, to uh, pay attention to Netflix compared to everything else where it's just like, I'll, you know, uh, John Wick, another example, you know, I'm able to pay attention because not because of Keanu, because of the, the, how the movie is able to move so fluently into each you know new act you mm-hmm. know absolutely so it, it definitely feels like some of these movies are there because it was essentially because of the star power you know the old guard mm-hmm. has at least they were on uh project power had uh jamie you know, jamie fox uh, gordon levette uh, Fatherhood, which was at the bottom of the list, was a Kevin Hart movie. So, mm-hmm. and you would think that Kevin Hart, you know, would bring uh, something like that to like at least in the top, in the in the top ratio, like the five or six spot. But no. Well, I mean, Kevin so, Hart is just kind of one of those actors where it's like you know what you're getting from it. So it's like okay, it's a Kevin Hart movie. It's just another one of those kind of movies where it's like okay, yeah, just another comedy where he's just going to do the same thing he always does. Yeah. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like. Um, it, it's not just, the you know, is there a star in this movie who like what star in it is in this movie? Because if the yeah. movie seems that because if you can tell from the trailer the way the movie's going to go and you know, like which star is in it, then it's like, OK, why do I need to watch this? I've essentially seen this already just, you know, in a different format. Or like in just or in a different movie that he's been in where he's essentially just being the same, you know, character that he always plays or she always plays. Good lord! Uh, apparently, this would have been a much different movie because it, uh, uh, Fatherhood, because it was originally announced in May 2015 with Channing Tatum, uh, Channing, Channing Tatum to both star and produce the movie, because it's based off a uh, uh, oh, it's based off a memoir. Okay, so it's not really a comedy; it's more like a dramedy. Oh, okay. So, and I think that's another thing too is this that you th- you respect Kevin Hart and you think oh, Kevin Hart comedy, he's got to be a father. He doesn't know how to be a father, all that stuff, but. 
when you look at the film, it's like, oh, this is actually a much more serious film, and they don't really, you know, and I think that's how the trailer puts it too, where it starts off like an actual Kevin Hart comedy, where it's just like he's like he's, he's a new one, he's a father, he doesn't know how to do all this stuff, and then suddenly, as you're watching the, the trailer, it's like it suddenly switches into a, a whole different direction, where it's just like he doesn't know how to be a father, he needs it, he's acting with people's help, like very seriously. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I think. Netflix does have a problem in terms of both promoting their movies and also just like showing what their movies will be about, especially especially if it does feel like a a, a blah type of a you know a blah type of movie. Yeah, like yeah, Netflix definitely just has a problem in general when it comes to their like you know promotionals yeah. because it's like they always I feel like they're playing it safe with it. Like there was yeah. like there was a um uh, a movie that I think it's on Netflix that has Dwayne the Rock Johnson, um, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. I think it's called Red Notice. And yeah, I watched the trailer the- for it and I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what this is about. This is absolutely predictable. I already know what's going to happen in this movie. I don't even have to watch it. And I know. Although watching that trailer going is like I like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman is. Amazing casting, by the way. I, like, I understand her as Wonder Woman. But watching that movie, a trailer, and then seeing her as a as a uh, thief, I'm like, why was she not, you know, Selena Kyle? Because I was like, that would have been an amazing casting, not only with Catwoman, because Catwoman has always been, like, one of those type of characters that is easily versatile. Like, but again, that's, that's a whole different discussion, a whole different thing. Yeah. And... And, and funny and enough, she actually, and, and it's like it isn't her first villain role too. Like she plays, um, she played like the spy in this like comedy movie or dramedy movie, I guess, with um, uh, John Hamm, I believe it was, yeah, uh, and uh, Seth Rogen, and Jones. what's her name? But yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, keeping up with the Joneses. That yeah, or, that that's what it was. Or something to that effect, and she's not really a villain. She's more like a comedy, uh, comedy like hero, uh, like the, the like the it's the hero that is mistaken to be a villain, even though oh, she's okay. a spy. like one of those type of movies. Okay, but yeah, like in the trailers, they do a good job of showing that like like that type of character, like that is essentially similar to what she's kind of playing in Red Notice, where I'm seeing the trailers, and she does that well. Like she does that well too. Yeah. Uh, I know we're getting up to an, uh, up for time, and I know you wanted to talk about a little bit of a story that you mentioned to, to me, which is, uh, I feel like th- this is a very odd uh, subject to end on, but this is also, and we were just talking about, you know, dramatic work too, so it kind of like fits into that narrative of dramatic stuff. Uh, so... I'm a little out of it in terms of why they want to strike outside of a better weight, you know, better hours and stuff like that too. But maybe you could, you could explain what's going on with the IAS. So basically what's going on is, well, really this has already been kind of like a building issue when it comes to like um, the unions being able to guarantee like, you know, good you know good paying wages and you know you know fair working hours where you're not overworking you know people and this this was already kind of an issue that was kind of starting to bubble up but then the pandemic happened and then it just really you know escalated it further 
because then it's like you then also have to factor um you know safety as well you know like, you know you know the uh, you know the whole virus safety but and basically what is going on it's like now because the productions are ramping back up like you know full steam ahead it's like everyone's kind of getting back into this sort sort of like you know we are getting you know like not good enough wages for the insane amount of work that is that they that the crews for and that the production crews for these shows do like there's so many stories of people who are just like so completely exhausted that when they're trying to drive home from like a freaking like 17 20 hour day something like that like they end up like crashing their cars and getting hurt like that's just you know one example hmm. and then there was like and then there was another story where and and these are all anonymous too by the way yeah of course because yeah, but yeah. so there was like another story where you know like this this crew, this tv show was filming at a mansion and one of the crew members uh, they like had a heart attack on like the driveway of the mansion and because they were still filming in the um like in the mansion like they were literally sending other you know producers or crew people out to like tell the ambulances hey turn your lights off we're filming here don't 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 put your lights on and they were trying to like tell them hey look you know just just be quiet be, you know just be as quiet as you can be quiet as you can to work you know it's like and it's like one of your one of your you know production crew people had a freaking heart attack on the driveway of your you know your shoot location and you're more concerned with like trying to get like have whatever last you know shots whatever you have to for this thing like come on and and it's, and it's like I, and I'm trying to I think I'm trying to summarize up something that's like that, that is that's complicated and it's still and it's still kind of like you know it's still going on and but yeah so um and we were and we were talking about this it was the covid safety protocols yeah, that are like those are ending on Thursday, and then Friday they're going to have a vote on whether to strike or not for better work conditions, because it is possible to make a show or a movie by just not overworking people in so many days, especially where the turnaround time is like you literally drive home and probably sleep for maybe two three hours because then you immediately have to get up and then drive farther away, especially because like all these production crew people don't live. Are not going to live near where, where like the shoot locations are. Like they're not going to have drivers out to you know get them there like they will like you know the like the stars or producers even or directors or whatever. Oh, and there was one story I saved this one. So give me. So okay, so here's another one of the anonymous stories that I've seen. My showrunner actually succeeded in getting the studio to up the writer's support staff wages to nineteen twenty dollars per hour, nineteen slash twenty dollars per hour. But then the studio cut our hours to 50 per week, so I now make less than I did at my previous job at the same studio that gave me 58 hours at minimum wage. This is also the only company I've worked for that doesn't do a 60-hour guarantee, even an unofficial guarantee. My previous bosses had to fight for anything over 55 hours. At my current job, they require a written notice and explanation if we even go an hour over 50 this is a terrible waste of the payroll account of the payroll accounts and producers time to be clear this is not even a new media quote unquote studio hmm. so so it, it, it's just one of those things that's just kind of like 
it's just another thing that's kind of come out of the woodwork with COVID. The insane kind of, like, you know, inequality between, like, you know, production crew and, like, the, you know, actress, directors, what have you. Because it's, like, without that production crew, all you'd basically have are just, you know, people on Zoom, essentially. Yeah, essentially. And no one wants to keep on working on Zoom because... I mean, and we both work on Zoom, like, every so often. And and it gets to a point where it is very, very... Uh, uh, because, because, like, as humans, we need that in-person interaction. Yeah. But, like, and, but, but also with this, too, it's, like, it just shows that kind of, like, you know, this isn't just, like, you know, production crew who are ununionized. This is also how they're treating production crew who are unionized. Yeah. Because they, because, because, like, they are just seen as inferior essentially like some of them are literally just seen as you know the grunt workers who they can easily replace and it's like good luck with that when you know like if a strike happens good luck with that like the best example of how like the the industry just sees like the unions in general so here's the story so my ex was like um a member of SAG-AFTRA and this was like in 2019 I want to say and she was an extra, uh, one of the union extras for, um, for like a film that was filming, um, in New York and they were working, you know, a pretty long day, but at a certain point when you're union, if they go over a certain number of hours, even if it's for a minute, if I remember right, even, even if it's for a minute, you immediately get paid overtime. So you get your initial, let's say $15 an hour for however many hours you work, you know, are, you know, you know, supposed to work but then once you go a minute into overtime even for a minute you immediately get a full hours work hours of extra overtime pay so what this um so what they did to her and all the other union extras was they essentially you know kind of kept them in a bus essentially for like the last like 30 minutes like an hour of the day with that whole, okay, maybe we'll, maybe we need to, you know, maybe we'll need to use you again. You'll just hang around. We'll see. And then I knew it was like at, at seven minutes, at seven minutes before they would have gone into overtime. Yeah. They said, okay, you're all released. Go get out. Like, and they're like rushing them out. And and then, and then what happened after that is that that same crew kept working with the non-unionized background extras. So, so it's like, yeah, it's like. So it's like you can really see where the priorities tend to lie in in this industry sometimes. Because it's like, you know, yeah, we got a lot of great shows, but it's like sometimes you kind of have to like wonder, you know, look at the amount of work that's being put into this stuff. And I'm like, and as we've learned from the pandemic, so like, is the work-life balance in a good place? Yeah, and... Going forward, especially, you know, in entertainment, how well the work-life work ratio will be compared, you know, going forward once everything is gone, you know, once these regulations essentially uh, go out of effect. Because I think they just want to go back to filming, you know, and they do want to go back to filming. And it's... and. There's always got to be a production horror story relating back to, 
you know, stuff that has happened on production sets. You know, I've seen in college, definitely, you know, I've seen my fair of shady things this has happened in productions and stuff like that too. And, you know, as actors, we just go on and just go, okay, we just got grin and bear it and stuff like that too. But I don't think it gets to a point now where it's like, especially over the past few years, I don't think no one wants to grin and bear it anymore. People want to have uh, repercussions and stuff like that too, especially if they're all working in a production-based setting. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like you know, it's easy to get used to working, you know, the crazy hours. Yeah. But once, but then COVID, but then COVID happened, and then you kind of are essentially forced to kind of back away from it yeah. for you know, you know, health and safety reasons. Yeah. And then you, and then you start going back into, it, and then you kind of realize there's a problem here. This this yeah. isn't this isn't right. Like this shouldn't you know, like this shouldn't be like this. This should be, you know, this should be different. Yeah, essentially, and a hard place to do, especially if you want to be a filmmaker and stuff like that too. And and then wanting to be right with the film, you know, filming is like, oh, you know, we can try and sue for an hour, and then I know the crew is uh, tired, so. We could try and uh, brave it for an hour, but if we feel that we need to stop now, we'll just stop now and pick up tomorrow. Because there are directors who will be like, no, we will continue on into, into the night until we are just like filming for like 15, 16 hours, and then suddenly like, okay, we got everything that we needed. We could go home. It's, it's a wrap. You know, mm-hmm. It's definitely one of those type of things where it's just like, it, it it it's 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 a complicated thing that is like you know that that honestly does kind of have a simple answer but we know won't be used it's definitely one of those things where it's just like will the production well like will everything be all right going forward or will there be a more stricter mandate meaning lesser shows and you know lesser movies for the most part and well, I don't no, think it would be. I don't think it would be that there's a mandate per se. I just, I think there was simply just, you know, there would just simply be less shows because it's like, okay, well, we don't, you know, have as many people now because of the strike, so we can't make as many shows. I think, yeah. I think that's just simply what it will be. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be a mandate. Yeah, and but we won't know that until Friday, at the very least, or at least by next week, to just see where this goes. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, hopefully everything will be uh, sorted out. Uh, but if everything isn't sorted out, then we're definitely going to a new phase of. It, like, it'll def- it, like, it'll basically kind of be like what happened with the writer strike back yeah. in, like, um, was it, was yeah. that 08 or 07, 08, yeah, was, I think? I think it was either 2008, 2009, around that era. I think it was 2008. And. Well, at least with the writer strike, I remember that very, very, very late. All these shows just happened to just shut, uh, go off either mid-season or around the same area. I mean, around the same time, and then premiere like much later in the year because of, you know, mm-hmm. because of all the stuff. And not only that, it kind of like it really screwed up a lot of shows too. Especially if there was a, a show that was that was getting steam and whatnot, and then suddenly it's like. You come back to the show, it doesn't really have the same oomph that it did you know, previously. I, I, I do think that, you know, maybe primetime shows won't be really affected. 
but shows that are or shows that are independently produced or independently, you know, filmed and stuff like that, that they'd be more affected than they were I mean, afflicted more than probably anything else. Of course, that's just my opinion because, you know, I see it as a casual acting observer. I mean, the independent stuff that could that could be, you know, that could be a coin to us because yeah. it's like because the independent ones are probably all just, you know, like you could get the people, the kind of people who are like, hey, yeah, let's just film like a couple hours of this a day and then, you know, call a night or whatever. Yeah, it's definitely one of or those like, things. It, it, it could be one of those things where it's like it could be a more chill kind of environment. Like it could be one of those where everyone is doing something like like it's not just like okay, yeah, the actors are just being the actors. It could even be like yo, the actors are kind of helping out with the crew stuff too. Yeah. So it's definitely one of those things where it's just like, I mean, like, yeah. uh, like a great example of what I would essentially call independent, you know, create like filmmakers or content creators. You know, uh, the YouTube channel Corridor. They are essentially independent. They're not affiliated with any studio that I know of. So, like, they're just a couple of dudes in a warehouse. <laughs> That they rented out and like turned into like you know their um their VFX shop so to speak. It definitely feels like it, it's going into a new phase. Like how last year, uh, COVID restricted all that stuff with most of the shows having shows like essentially filmed much later and and they were and now it's essentially probably going to be the same thing. But they do want to have like stricter set laws or strict everything because i don't think people want to be working on a set for like 15 20 hours mm. and you know i've been in a uh you know we've been in a, a theaters you know for like eight ten hours a day probably sometimes 12 just to do a show for tech and yeah. tech usually and tech is usually like what uh maybe one or two days a week at most mm-hmm. for bigger like shows the, yeah like if you're like you're lucky if it's just one day pretty much yeah, and you know, I'll be happy if I'm just in tech for like one day, and or maybe even two days, and just being able to be out of tech, out of you know, and be show ready within the next few days. But mm. I imagine a lot of this production stuff is definitely more than just being. Oh, it's you'd be happy if it's just like one day of everything. If this happens and they do strike, you know, they they they'll have a lot of things that are the writers would have a lot more. Uh, things probably going forward of having a lot more uh, things like reworked all around. Mm-hmm. Or I wouldn't be surprised if there'd be a lot more independently produced stuff that are, you know, brought into the into its attention and whatnot. But again, or, that's... Or, 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 or like the third situation where it's like, you know, they just, you know, hire more people who aren't union to, re- who are non-union to replace the union ones, who, the, the union crew people who are on strike. And then, and then with there, it's like you can essentially get away with doing, you know, even longer hours or and with even less pay. Yeah, that is that is probably more. Uh, what's the term? That's probably even more successful for the most part. I mean, more reasonable for the most part is that they just want to have better pay, better workplace uh, situations, you know. Nothing too shady, just stuff like that too. Because you know, I, I there's probably even more horror stories you would learn about, you know, in a production standpoint and everything else. But 
again, I feel like this episode has gone long enough. So <laughs> it, it, it's definitely one of those things where it's just like, it's just one of those things you have to watch watch as an actor and not be like, oh, this is just typical uh, behind the scenes bullshit. It's more than just that. It's like, it's it's people's jobs and it's basically uh, not only is it people is affecting people's jobs, it's also got to be affecting uh, studios, uh, films, and everything else. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was the first episode. That's technically the third episode, but this is like the first episode as downstage. So, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Okay, I know we just ended the episode, but we have a breaking news, Hayden. Okay, so Law and Order, not any of the spinoffs, the original Law and Order is returning for season 21. What? <laughs> what? I, I am... I, I am amazed. And like, on that note, take care, everyone. And uh, th- 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 this is going to be a, a, a interesting news fall ahead of us. <laughs> Crazy times ahead, kids. <laughs>